Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. It's just us today. So Andy, I have a special surprise for you. And so uh, off air, I know that you actually don't have any dice around, but I need you to find a D20. A D20. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have I'm gonna yeah. have to... I'm not a very good dungeon master. My dice are in like a different room. I don't have them on me. So uh, yes. I'll be back one sec. No, this is okay. great. Yeah. Um, so for for listeners, uh, you can go. Okay. You can go. I'm gonna I'm leave. Gonna the, I'm gonna leave here, and you. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. So for for listeners, um, right before we got on, Andy Andy admitted that he didn't have any dice around, um, and I had a special surprise all planned for him. And I was like, "Well, should I tell him before we start recording?" And I decided not to. So we're gonna see how long it takes him to to gather a D twenty. He's running. He's almost here. I'm back. Uh, yeah. You got one? Yeah, I got one. Oh, okay. okay. Good. All right, you've passed. You were, you were still a good GM. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so Andy, I want to do something. Uh, a couple weeks or a week ago or so, uh, or episodes ago, we talked about doing um, starting a campaign like in media res, sort of like the James oh, Bond yeah. intro. Yeah, so I want to try okay. that with you. I just want to see see what see what happens. Okay, so uh, here here's the setup. You have just broken through a stained glass window and you're falling three stories. And you're just like watching all these glass shards kind of like raining down alongside you as you're falling. And you can you look up and you see that like your your mortal enemy has just pushed you out of this window. What do you do? I uh, reach for something on my person that I can use to okay. uh, pull him down with me. Okay. All right. Uh, go ahead and we'll roll. We'll just call this like a, a preparedness roll. Wait, so you tell me like uh, Andy as a person, how prepared are you normally? As a person, I'm not well prepared. So. Okay. So you're going to take a minus okay. four on this. All right. Here we go. Okay. So roll, roll your d20. Okay. Well, with that minus four penalty, I've got a minus one uh, result. <laughs> okay. Uh, you begin to grasp around your, your belt and your, your pockets and stuff. And you realize that. Um, as you, you kind of like glance up and you see that your your mortal enemy is actually holding your utility belt <laughs> in its hand. And he, he looks down at you and yells, looking for this? <laughs> what do you do? You are now at the second story falling with the glass alongside of you. Okay. Uh, then I, uh, I'm falling down like some sort of cathedral or church or something yeah. like that? Yeah. So uh, picture, like, picture like French cathedral, like... Yeah, like Notre Dame. Okay. Like you're you're falling like yeah. Well, there's got to be some sort of uh, intensely creepy gargoyle uh, mm -hmm. architecture here, which I'm going to attempt to grab. Okay. All right. Um, how dexterous are you in real life? Uh, medium, mediocre dexterity. I give myself okay. like you know so, an a seven or an eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll call that. We'll we'll say like no no penalty no bonus. Okay. There we go. Oh, natural twenty. Whoa, natural 20. Okay. Uh, you, you look around and actually um, one of the gargoyles on, on the cathedral, like um, like you, you watch it stick its arm out towards oh, you. Oh my goodness. Do you grab it? How can I say no to that? So of course I grab it, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it grabs your hand and kind of like swings you back and throws you up on, the, on its back and it starts to take off. And so now you're flying on top of a gargoyle. Oh. What do you do? I want to steer it back towards my enemy. So if it does not respond to a like a point like up there up there i will grab you know grab its ear and 
tug it in the direction I want it to fly. Yeah, um, I think with the 20, we'll just, we'll kind of like, we'll, we'll follow that through. Like, so you, you were able to immediately communicate with this, this Gargolobius beast. And I would say like, um, so you've played Dark Souls. So this is like one of those mini boss gargoyles oh, yep. at the top of, yeah. Um, so for those that haven't played Dark Souls, right, this thing is like 20 feet long once it starts to unfurl. Um, like that and it's actually like you look down it's carrying a giant pike in its hand as well so this, is, this was a good get for you and it begins to fly back up um, towards your enemy uh your mortal enemy though um takes out a a long gun and it's like it's like an anime character long gun so it's like it's itself 10 feet long kind of pulls it out <laughs> from the back and starts to level at you uh and it fires so uh roll dexterity for me again or how i guess what do you, do you want to take it or do, what are you going to do when it fires at you uh, yeah, I will. Uh, well, you know, I already rolled and this roll will make it more entertaining because I rolled a natural one this time. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's a zero. Um, I think it, uh, it hits you. So it hits you in the arm. Your arm is, is disabled at this point. You're probably your left arm. So you're still hanging on to the gargoyle, although you have, um, lost one of your arms. Okay. Um, yeah, you are, um, I think you're getting closer, right? This thing is, is moving quite a bit of quite a bit of air behind of it behind it and you're getting up and kind of level to your mortal enemy what do you do i would like to launch myself off the gargoyle uh you know and barrel into uh my enemy here who who hopefully is you know frantically whatever reloading his you know ramming the yeah. stick down yeah. the barrel the gun or whatever uh yeah, he is. There's a comically long like stick too okay. <laughs> to, to, to to push it in. Um, yeah, so you uh, you can do that. Um, although, let's see, let's call this like just an, a, an attack. Okay. Um, so you as a person, how how well do you think you would attack something? Ooh, yeah. I think I'd have like a plus zero. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll go with zero again on that. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and roll. Oh, oh my goodness! I rolled another natural twenty. Oh jeez. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you. This you is like leap a roller co- emotional roller coaster of an experience here so far. <laughs> yes. This is great. Yeah. Uh, so you you leap off the the gargoyle, and I think with that, um, the gargoyle itself um, actually takes a swing with its pike. It realizes what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. It takes a swing with its pike and and trips your mortal enemy, and he uh, he drops the gun. It goes clattering, and he's now hanging onto the edge edge of where he pushed you off as you jump jump towards him. Are you going for the kill, or are you going to help him up? I think with a flourish, I will smirkily look down at him and like extend my hand to him, and uh, and I don't know what I'll say right now, but like in this the movie version of this, I have the best one liner uh, <laughs> you know, equipped for this, which is, I've been yeah. trying to think of a one liner since you started this little scenario, and I haven't come up with one. So if you've got <laughs> one, feel free to you know toss one out there. I don't, although we can leave that as an exercise for the listener to come up with the perfect Please write in with the one-liner I should have used uh, at that moment. Yeah, um, I think uh, the, yeah, he will, he'll like, he'll like reach up a hand towards you and like, like say, please, please help me up. I'll try to haul, haul him up, but watching, you know, watch his other hand for the knife I know is coming or whatever. Okay. The knife comes um, towards <laughs> towards your Achilles heel as you're pulling him up. Um, roll. Uh, we're gonna do a contested contested check right here. Okay. So I'm gonna roll roll an attack. You roll uh, how you would approach this. How? Yeah. You tell me. How would you approach a knife coming at you? A uh, knife coming at you? Yeah. I would. Um, I I think I would uh, try to just let go of him and and kick him away. Okay. Seventeen. He swipes, he misses completely. 
Um, as you as he's swiping, uh, you have let go of him, and he has no nowhere to go with that knife. So he just kind of slashes the air and begins to fall, fall down. Um, and that's where we'll fade out for right now. Yeah. The, so the the camera, you know, is looking down at him as he falls, like the bad guy in Die Hard or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. He has to be. He gets impaled on some kind of spike. Uh, that yeah, probably the gargoyle like throws the pike down at him as he's falling Ooh. and so like it it continues it goes a little bit faster and gets him before he hits the ground <laughs> okay so there you go all right that was really fun and uh yeah so my first instinct was to when you said what do you do you know you're falling my first instinct was like well what do i have what spells do i have you know like do mm-hmm. i have a spell that can do something what equipment do i have but it was more fun to just you know it was just more fun to try to imagine what like an instinctive reaction was um yeah i thought about like you know should i give you a loadout beforehand but it's like no like let's just yeah let's just see what it was better is better that you didn't yeah okay yeah okay well thank you thank you for indulging me on that i just i wanted to see like how that would go to just do like a dive into an action scene and see what happens uh turns out it was very fun (laughs) very fun on my end so hopefully you enjoyed it yeah that was fun Uh, yeah yeah uh chris told me you know 10 seconds before we started recording that he was going to surprise me with something and like listener my blood ran cold uh (laughs) yeah so this this was uh this this was fun all right all right well let's um let's do what we came here to do and actually talk about running role-playing games not pretending to run them (laughs) on air uh yeah so i i have a d10 i know that you do not have one in front of you i'm happy to roll on the table yeah that's fine although i do have my d20 here now you know i could roll divide by two yeah um i'm gonna do it though because i i don't know what would happen if you got like what if you got a one then it would just be confusing yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh i got a six a six uh this is an interesting topic uh how do you store and care for your game books how do you use them at the game table this is something i think we have danced around this topic a couple times and i know that it's something that like most game masters love talking about yeah. is is books <laughs> All the time. I think like it's a it's an also an interesting time to have this conversation too, just because of like because we're all playing online if we're playing at all. So you you get mixed in with this like the actual game books versus PDFs and and, and that that sort of thing. Yeah. As well. Um yeah, let's start with probably the, the most interesting thing, I guess like what is the book that you have that's in the worst condition? It would have to be uh, one of a couple of the game core rule books that that i used when i first was getting into the hobby that i mm-hmm. i read them to death and then you know they just got mauled over the course of years of heavy use even though i'm i am extremely like careful and nitpicky with books you know i don't mm-hmm. like cracking the spine i don't like you know getting the corners bent but even with that there some of my oldest books are um are barely holding together i would say from years of use how about you? Do you oh. do you have a do you have a book that's tattered? I, you you have come more recently into the hobby, so I mm-hmm. don't know if you have uh, haven't had an opportunity to have a book like get old and and tattered. Yeah, um, I haven't. I have a couple of like used used copies of stuff that are a little bit rough. Um, I'm like although I'm newer to like role playing games, um, tabletop role playing games. Like I've been playing video games and stuff my whole life, so like I. I got the obsession with keeping things pristine from Nintendo Power magazines. <laughs> so like, you know, like, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, when I was growing up, it was like, yeah, you get Nintendo Power, you read it very carefully. And then like, yeah, don't, don't crease anything. Don't tear anything out, you know, put it back on the shelf. Yeah. 
that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, probably like, I mean, probably the player's handbook, right? Like that thing, whenever I'm running it, it gets pulled out and, you know, I, I don't think I mark it up that much necessarily, but it definitely gets, things get folded over and, you know, sticky notes and stuff get added to it. So do you, how do you annotate books? Like for reference, do you, you just said sticky notes. Is that mm-hmm. like, if you've got to mark your place, or you got to remember something. Is that what you do? Sticky notes? Do you ever take, you know, a pen or pencil yeah. to the page? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I will, if I can. So with the more recent, like Wizard of the Coast printing, like the way that their paper is, you can't really write on it at all. Like, so I've tried before, like, you know, you just, you can't, you can't really annotate it very well. Yeah. So I'll often do, yeah, sticky notes in there. I'll print stuff off and just like jam it in as well. Um, and then also just note cards, you know, so I will like, yeah, put note cards in into like the monster manual. So if I know yeah. I'm running something, I know that there's going to be three or four monsters in there I need to reference. I'll just kind of jam in um, index cards. Yeah. What about you? How do you handle that? Yeah. Uh, same thing. Uh, mostly sticky mm-hmm. notes. Like for much of my life, not just with the game books, with other books, you know, like I said, I really would try to keep my stuff in pristine condition. And mm-hmm. so the idea of marking up a book seemed like the worst possible thing I could do to it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, because as just as I've gotten older, I find that there's something a little sad when I look at a, a stretch of bookshelf that I have with game books that look pristine and unused. And mm-hmm. if I flip through it, I guess it's nice that it's the pages are not creased or wrinkled in any way and they haven't been marred by any notes. You know, I guess that's kind of nice, but it also just has a sort of sterile feel. And it's like, you yeah. know, I got a lot of fun out of this book, but there's no record of that in this book. Yeah, and, there's no artifacts. Yeah, like so I, I, I feel like we might be at the point in the podcast where I'm starting to, you know, repeat anecdotes here. So I apologize if I've shared this before, but... You know, I, I like picking up used game books where I can, and mm-hmm. I have come to really love uh, times when I pick up a game book and it's got the, just the artifacts of somebody else having played the heck out of it in there. Mm-hmm. So I have some really, I have some honestly pretty funny, some used books I've picked up that are like kind of comically marked up or massively highlighted or, um, you know, doodles in the sides or, uh, you know, names presumably of people who played through the adventure you know stuff like that it's yeah it's like you know i i would like to think that you know if were someone to pick up one of my books they would see evidence of like oh someone someone got a lot of joy out of this book you know yeah yeah i have i have a one old monster manual i think that has has someone's like address in the front right like it's it's very clearly like a juvenile handwriting you know, someone's name and address and even phone number. And I had this brief moment a couple of weeks ago where I was like, I should call that number and see. It's like, no, I, I shouldn't call that number. But like, yeah, it's just like things like that are just really joyful. Uh, and it, it makes me, it actually makes me think about uh, board games. So board games, at least like more modern ones, will often come with a, like a stack of scorecards in them. Oh, okay. As yep. well, right. So like you yep. can, you know, so you'll have like 50 or 100 of these scorecards in, you know, like in a tear off sheet style thing and like at least for me we usually you know we'll fill them out and we just kind of toss them back in the box and stuff but like pulling out those board games and like opening it up and you can see like oh i played this game with this person right and it's almost this like built-in way of of leaving those those trails and those artifacts within the board game 
yeah, it kind of makes me wonder like what you could do if you would design that intentionally into say like a player's handbook. Yeah. Something like that. Like if there was just a spot in the back that was meant for like, you know, keep all the character sheets here. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Or like who did this belong to? Like, yeah, have a, have a nameplate or yeah. In the front. Yeah. I, a couple, a couple thoughts on that. Uh, yeah. I, I am reminded of a time at Gen Con I played in the game of a game designer who at the end of the game had everyone who played at the table, he, uh, sign his copy of the book and oh so he had a living record of of everyone at you know at all these conventions he would take this to demoing his game and you know i signed my name in there and there was pages of of names uh you know in all different handwriting and it was just <laughs> like this would be a treasure you know after 10 years of this this would be quite yeah. something to have on your bookshelf oh that's so cool yeah, that's so cool. I had not thought about this exactly, but that idea of building in intentionally some system for recording or archiving a play experience, you know, it kind of calls to mind those, uh, that kind of legacy, I think is a term for it, uh, board mm -hmm. game trend that started, I don't know, a decade or so ago. Yeah. And I've never really played any of those, but I find the concept intriguing. Those are board games where... Like as you play, you, I mean, I think you're in theory, you're supposed to, you know, physically change the game, you know, put <laughs> yeah. stickers on the map, tear up cards that can't be used anymore, uh, that sort of thing. I remember when those came out, you know, you see lots of reactions are like, why would I pay, you know, $60 for a game I can play once? But, you mm -hmm. know, the flip side of that is like, you know, that's a neat, if you actually play through that sucker, that's mm -hmm. a pretty neat bunch of memories that you've <laughs> that you've recorded down here to look back at yeah totally I, and i like i take umbrage with the like i can only play play through it once or only 10 times or something it's like because how many games on your shelf have you actually played more than 10 yes. times yep right like it's it's a it is a small number right <laughs> like yeah it's not like you're yeah you're, you're not pulling those those games out all the time so it's like it to me it's more akin to like if you're gonna go see a movie in a movie theater you're going to spend far more than $60 if you brought four or five people yeah. along with you. So like, yeah, monetarily it's like whatever. And like, you know, there's some argument to be made about like, is this crass consumerism and all that, but it's like, yeah, put that all aside. Like this is just a cool, cool concept and a cool idea. Something similar to this had occurred to me when I, I'm a good bit into running a, a band of blades campaign. And that is a game that it, it, it is not designed, you know, for you to mark up the book permanently or anything like that. But that is a good example of the sort of game where you could do something like this. I mean, like, mm -hmm. realistically, you are not going to run that many games of Band of Blades in your life. You know, okay. it's not like a, a generic game like D&D &D that you can pull up, you know, when you're whenever you're in the mood. You know, it's it's something it has got a, a fairly prescripted, you know, approach to it. You've got to be in the mood for it. You've got to have done prep for it. All the players have to be uh, prepared for it. And uh, it's a that is a game where, you know, you progress through a prescribed series of stages. Of course, there's mm -hmm. options and variations in there. But and it occurred to me kind of after I got going that I, you know, I type up lots of notes in between sessions just on my computer and a big text file of what what we did and which missions the players went on and what setbacks happened and those you know, I might as well be writing these down in the book hmm. in in the chapter for each location. I might as well fill the margins with our notes about what we did there because that would be probably as convenient a record of what we did as anything. And yeah. I, I'm not going to, you know, Band of Blades is really fun and it, I would love to play it again 
I imagine when I finish this campaign, I will would be happy at the at the idea of playing it again sometime. But you know, realistically, you know, if I did that, I just you know I could just buy a new copy of the rule book. It's not that expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if you or even if you use the same one, I mean, I think it would be it would be a small joy every time that you got to one of your recaps. Oh, totally. Yeah. To see yeah see what they did before. I mean, you could even like work that into the next campaign. It's like yeah, you get there and you see that there's six gravestones of these great heroes that I did a total party kill to. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm sorry, I've, I'm talking up a storm here, uh, but oh, good, you know, there good. are a couple of really recent role-playing games that do have one toe in the pool of, I don't know where this metaphor is going, the pool of okay. whatever, <laughs> the legacy type game. Uh, the Forbidden Lands role-playing game mm, uh, is a sort of old school vibe sort of game where you're uh, exploring a hex map and you are supposed to, it comes, it has a like sheet of stickers in the box and you are supposed to, as people explore hexes on the map, you're supposed to like put stickers uh, of what they find there as permanent, you know, additions to the game world. Um, cool. So if they were to, you know, if someone else were to adventure in this world later, or if the players were to revisit it, you know, you'd have a record of, of what they found where, cause it's, and uh, the heart role-playing game has something kind of similar. I think it's sort of an optional thing you can buy. It's not necessarily in the core rules, but you can also buy like a board game style uh, board map for that role-playing mm-hmm. game that comes with stickers mm-hmm. that as you randomly determine what you come across, you pl- you plop a sticker on the map at that location to kind of fix it in place. Um, that's really great. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's a really, that's a really mild version of that but you know that would be i could imagine you know a game like uh, forbidden lands you know it lends itself to pretty long extensive campaigns i'd mean at the end of that you could have a, a map that's really full of notes and stickers that would be kind of fun <laughs> yeah i wonder like what it is about that that is so so compelling so my wife and i just finished a jigsaw puzzle and it was a, a really fun experience putting this puzzle together and we got, you know, like we're, we're done with it. And so tonight she was, she was asking me like, well, can we put it away? And I just had this moment of like, well, I don't, I don't want to put it away mm. yet. And there's like no reason wh- like why I didn't want to put it away. <laughs> Cause it's like, we have to, like, we need our dining room table back. Like yep. we're done with the puzzle. Like you need to look at it some more, like take a picture. It'll last longer. Like that, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and so we eventually decided to like to put it away, and like I had this small amount of like sadness about it too, but you know, but also like we needed our dining room table back, so it's like, <laughs> you know, not that big of a deal. But like, there's something about the final the finality of like finishing a puzzle and then ta- like putting it back in the box. It's like you're never going to get the experience of putting that puzzle together for the first time again, mm. like learning all the different ways about how things connect and things, and then yeah, so like the the thought of doing that again we're never going to do it again we don't really have yeah we don't have an artifact of that other than the puzzle back in the box and stuff um yeah so it's just like it's it's interesting to have that experience but then also be talking about like this about like how do you yeah like how how to extend the the memory of those games right like because i think i think that's this is exactly where we we just took this topic and turned it a little yeah, bit yeah. to like talk a little bit more about like yeah. the memories inherent in not taking good care of your games. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Your game books and stuff. Uh, but yeah, like, so I don't know, like this is, this has been on my mind with, with puzzles in particular. Like there's no, no way to like sign the puzzle, I guess at the end Yeah, or do that other than just being able to talk about it or remember it. 
Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the, the human experience, right? I mean, the fun mm -hmm. is in the doing of the thing, you know, and we, yeah. you know, you might take a bazillion pictures, you know, of an event yeah. that was really a vacation that was really fun. And you might flip through them and, and memorize and remember them. But, um, you know, the fun, you had the fun and the fun is in the past. Um, yeah. So with role playing games, I mean, I guess we could, you could try to find ways to sort of, uh, you know, remind you of the fun you had, you know, sort of whatever the role playing game version of mm -hmm. is of, of taking a photo or a snap snapshots. But, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it is sort of by its nature, just something the fun comes out of the ephemeral interactions you have with other people at the table. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's that's a real joy. But it also is something that you're not going to be able to, you know, preserve and relive in the same way, no matter what you try. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's, <laughs> it's funny to me that we started with with like talking about pristine books and like how we don't don't try to mark them up that much it's like and now i'm just wishing that i had I just gone to town and ripped pages out and like drawn pictures everywhere yeah. and all that um yeah but like maybe let's let's shift gears a little bit um and talk about the second part of this question you know how do you actually use books at your table i think um otherwise we'll just keep getting weepier and weepier as we <laughs> yes. talk about yes. like campaigns and gone past. that's right if we'll never be yeah. young again chris yes <laughs> um yeah as far as like using books at the, t the game table and i think like i know i know we've we've both kind of talked about this quite a bit over the the podcast not that like it's necessary for you to have listened to every episode of the podcast yes. up to this point, to, but yeah. Um, so for me, like I will, you know, like I only bring the books that I, I know that I'm going to need uh, that that time, you know, at the the table. Um, and then with running online, right? Like then there's also PDFs and stuff like that. So I try to have everything somewhat organized uh, and on my lap and on desk and stuff next to me. And then when I'm actually running the game, I kind of forget about all that until someone asks me what a rule is. And then, then I have to go and <laughs> go and remember and find the actual book. Yeah. I think the, the thing that I found like most helpful the last time I was running a, a longer campaign was taking a little bit of time to like, to print out the specific part of the, the session that I knew that I was going to be covering. Uh, yeah. So I'd have, have more of a printout rather than just like, yeah, a, a bunch of haphazard note cards yeah. everywhere. I have a couple, couple reactions to that. One is uh, I'm old enough to remember when PDFs were really coming into, we were coming into their prime as a way of distributing a game book mm -hmm. and uh, things like print on demand was started was starting to excite imaginations about what you could do. And I remember a lot of buzz in the early days of like games being available in digital form, like usually PDF, but um, you know, sometimes HTML or whatever. This idea I remember people having that uh, maybe in the future you could create your own game book out of the pieces of the game system that you cared about, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this typically came up in the context of discussions of games like GURPS or Hero or, or other generic systems that, that have like more stuff in them than you need for your game because they are trying to cover everything. So mm -hmm. what if you could be like, I'm running a gritty urban game that doesn't have uh, divine magic in it and uh, it only has, you know, martial character classes, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, so give me uh, internet or, you know, technology compile for me you know put piece together the parts of the rules that i need to do that and leave everything else out and give me yeah. 
uh, give me a rule book that has everything I need and nothing I don't in it. Um, yeah. So that was, I don't know, that was, that never came to pass, you know, for some good, I mean, there's some good, there's an interesting ideas in that. I mean, there's also some obvious problems with it and obviously mm -hmm. it, it didn't really happen that way, but um, I don't know why it's I went down a... that particular rabbit trail, but just um, the idea of like, you know, how, how do you prepare? It's sometimes funny how much you need to prepare for, you know, how much you need to go through your rule book in advance to kind of pick out, pull out the stuff you're going to need and get ready to use it. You know, it's an approach we're all very used to taking, so it feels natural to us. But the re one of the reasons I bring it up is because my mind was kind of blown a couple of months ago by a, an RPG rulebook I was reading that kind of really upended my uh, upended my idea of what the like physical rulebook was supposed to be doing at the game table. Oh. And so I was reading Champions Now by Ron Edwards. It's a quirky, very niche uh, game game book. You uh, you can Google it and read up on it. I won't go into it. We we talked about it on at least one past episode. But mm -hmm. so I'm reading this book, and it, it is sort of like the idea of it is it's sort of like the uh, the director's cut version of the role playing game Champions. Um, hmm. Okay. So it's really quirky, and it's written in the form of like a conversation between the author and you, and it's just straight up. He's talking directly to you, the GM. You know, it's not written like a reference book. It's 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 a guy giving you advice about how to run the game champions. And so while I was reading it, there's a lot to enjoy about it, but I kept thinking this this is the worst organized book I've ever <laughs> read in my life. Like I could never use this at the table yeah. because like the index was worthless. There's no way, no simple way to look at like the index or the table of contents and figure out where a rule was if I needed to know what's the rules for like invisibility, you know. There's mm -hmm. literally almost literally no way I could you could find it, uh, and then I realized as I kept reading, this is a game book that I am intended. It is intended to teach me how to play the game, and then never be referenced again. Like oh, so, okay. this book is trying to walk me through the process of making my character or getting ready to run a game, writing everything I need to know on my character sheet, and throw the rule book away because whatever I need, I wrote down. It's here on my character sheet. And I've never played a game that didn't come with it with some expectation that that game book was to serve as sort of a physical reference at the table. Huh. Um, and people will complain no end when games come out with like inadequate indexes or, you know, they're poorly organized. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if that's like a good thing that every game should emulate, but it was a weird thing that I was like, whoa, what if you just read a game book and you... And then you just knew how to play the game, and then that was it. Yeah, that's that is mind blowing a little bit, and but it also re reminds me that that is the majority of players' experience experience of playing games. Oh, interesting. Is, yeah, like think about it. Like, I mean, when you're teaching a new player how to play, you don't say like, "Okay, read the player handbook," like read read the book cover to cover come to me, then I will teach you like my variation on it. And then we will both reference the rules whenever there's, you know, like a thing that we need to adjudicate. Like, yeah, like, no, you like, you just, you, you all like you decide or, you know, the table decides sort of what the rules are and you relate them back to one another. And again, going back to board games, like, I mean, I know like you're the explainer of board games at whenever you play board games. Like I know this because I am the explainer of board games whenever I play board yes. games. Like that's just I wonder what the what the Venn diagram overlap between GMs and the people that explain <laughs> board games is. Yeah. It's probably pretty high. 
Yeah, it's just, it's a perfect circle. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. Um, right. And like, I mean, think about like every time you've taught a board game to someone, like, I mean, there's 20% of the time, like the people, like some people want to see the rules, like the vast majority of people do not care. They just want to get to playing the game. Like, so you, you relate the rules to them and then you start playing the game Yeah, like that and they're never going to look at it. Yeah. So it sounds like this is exactly how that book is being written. Like to the GM is just like, well, here's, here's how to play. Yeah. <laughs> go play well it's just interesting because you know the obvious the obvious answer to your question you asked or at least the, the obvious answer for me is you know i at, when i use my books at the table i use them as references you know uh, mm-hmm. i have them sticky noted with the pages i might need to pull up i use them to uh to to flip to the maps of the places i need if i if i don't mm-hmm. have them memorized or i didn't sketch them out myself and you know that works pretty well that works well you know well enough you know, it requires or at least benefits from books that are written with this in mind, you know, and we've mm-hmm. all we've all seen books that really make it difficult to find stuff at the table. And we've all played games where it's all pretty logically organized and not a problem. Um, mm-hmm. it, this does make me wonder about playing a game where you you like disallow books at the table. Mm-hmm. Like you you say you're not allowed to. Yep. To have them, an experience that I had that I, I think about a lot is uh, the the Ann Arbor District Library RPG Fest that they ran a couple years ago, and hopefully will run again in the future. Um, like, so I ran a couple sessions of, of D and D, and I was just running a, a very simple like encounter um, that I didn't need any notes whatsoever for, right? So I think I had the GM screen set up just for effect, right? Yeah. But like, I wasn't referencing anything behind it; I was just rolling behind it like that and it was a very different way of running a game than having your books all laid out in front of you like a very different feel like there was never that like going back to reference anything it was just like well i don't have anything written down anyway so i'm just gonna you know keep going with it like that but i mean that was very much a case where it's like well i have the books internalized somewhat you know like i have this encounter internalized enough that i don't i don't need them so the way that I used the books in that scenario was that I, I studied beforehand and then put them away. Yeah. And, you know, went to the test, uh-huh. um, as it were. Uh, yeah. And it like that experience has made me think a lot about like, how could you run a whole campaign in that mode? Because um, again, like the players, like their perspective is, is all sort of what's happening at the table. Like they might have their character sheet. They might have the player's handbook that they're referencing, you know, it's like 50 50 yeah. <laughs> whether or not they're doing it, but like the, the, like the minute to minute gameplay, they're not also referencing all these books in front of them. Like they're just, they're interacting with, with what's at the table. And it, yeah. It just makes me wonder like, yeah, how, how as a GM, I could get to that place too. Um, and if that is better, better or worse than having all the books um, in front of me. One thing you learn quickly, you know, as a GM, I have a lot of ideas about how game books could be written better to be not even written better. It could be designed better to be used at the table. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the game book has not really changed much in its design from the early days of this hobby. You know, um, chapters of new RPGs that come out probably roughly correspond in placement and uh, size and emphasis to, you know, chapters and early game books. Uh, you know, here's yeah. a chapter on the setting. Here's a chapter on creating your character, the chapter on equipment, chapter on combat, yeah. chapter on GMing. You know, I, I do sometimes feel like we're due for somebody to come along and say, there's a different way to convey the information in here to present it to you. And I, there's little baby steps that you do see being taken. I've talked before just, it's just little stuff can make a difference. Like Monty Cook games and Numenera and their other games, you know, they always they have hefty cross references in the margins of each 
uh, of all of, of every page on the rule book just mm-hmm. little quality of life things like that kind of make a big difference or or pages that are printed in such a way that when you look at when you look at them from the side you can see like the chapter delineations by like the mm-hmm. color used or something yeah. like that um lots of little things like that and lots of game companies are doing a good job of some of those little things but the mm-hmm. but there is that that sense that um someone with a really great grasp of how books are used as physical objects really needs to step into the the rpg hobby and show us yeah. how it's done yeah <laughs> yeah I, i'm right i'm i'm with you on that yeah it's like there's there, there's something there like i think there's always a frustration of like the like the way that you want to organize information in your brain and then how it's actually organized organized in the book um yeah i mean i think in partly that's good it kind of it, it makes you think in a different mode as well right like because i mean you were mentioning like the chapters and stuff like that's like putting chapters and stuff is one way to emphasize what's important to you right uh-huh. so like if you are picking up D and you're like why isn't the first chapter all about like romance you know in the game it's like well because yeah. the book is telling you that romance is not as important as combat like you know necessarily yeah right? like it's in there but it's not it's not going to be um the, the most important thing yeah there's all um, <laughs> how many yeah. games have you played there's like a seven page chapter that's called like running the game or game rules yeah. and then like a 45 page chapter that's called combat or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like well wait, wait was i not learning about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but you know it's interesting just I find it's a very different experience when I'm picking up a, a new role-playing game. It's a really different experience. Like when I start going through this book, I've read books that start you with like a glossary of terms, you know, a, a dictionary of terms at the beginning. There are games that start you off with like a piece of fiction. There's games that start mm-hmm. you off with a like encyclopedia style description of the setting. There's games that start you off with like, all right, let's create a character before you know anything else. Uh, you know, yeah. um, there's different ways to move people through books. And like a lot of them will say, like, if you're a game master, start with this chapter and read and then read these ones. And if you're a player, read read this chapter over here, but you can ignore the rest. And it's like these. It's funny. We have this book here. It's for two totally different audiences. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Just just some interesting <laughs> stuff there. We're, we're, we're we've once again. You tried to start us off on answering the actual topic here, but we've we've drifted off. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, and we're actually kind of out of time. Although, I, so I don't know if we answered the question at all. I mean, probably a little bit, you know, like about how to store and care for your game books. But uh, this was a far more interesting conversation to me. Yeah, I think um, like I want to like go like hug my books. Yeah, and think about all the good times. Yeah, um, and also like yeah cut the spines off and rearrange them at the same time <laughs> yeah i yeah. fantasize sometimes about like cutting the spines off and putting some of my heavily's books in like a spiral binder so they can mm. like lay flat but oh, I, yeah. I don't think i'm quite that hard committed to my pretentious statements i was making earlier about books to do that but sometimes yeah. i get close yeah, yeah. If, if a game were if you know the binding was failing on a book i would probably take be willing to take the step of hacking it out hacking the pages out and sticking them in a binder or something but yeah okay so so here's here's the the final question i guess like so if you if that happened to like yeah your 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 player's handbook for example and like fifth edition or whatever edition you're playing are there any sections that you just leave out <laughs> that's interesting yeah oh i don't know that's a funny or question just, or like anything that you just like immediately would rearrange 
<laughs> I think so. I'll answer first. I think the the very first thing I would do is is like just rip the book in half, like where the spells start. Oh yes, and just put the spells in a different book. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes, right. Like because you don't. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because like how how often are you you're building a character? Like someone has a question about a character, so you're like you're looking up the wizard and you're like, okay, you can have. You have four spells at this level, like, okay, but, like, which ones can you have? And so you're flipping back and forth and trying to find out, like, where the wizard spells, it's madness. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I think if I were to do any sort of surgery on, like, D and, my D&D books, it would be, there is no darn reason this stupid game can't be in one rule book instead of this ridiculous three rule books that it, that <laughs> just, like, this sacred cow of of the RPG industry. You know, no one else does this because it's dumb. Like, uh, (laughs) yeah. So rip some of the extra junk out of the player's handbook, stick, stick 50 pages from the DMG that are actually important. And then stick, (laughs) stick 30 pages of monsters in there. Yeah. Come on. Uh, (laughs) So if I did some surgery, it would be on all three of the core D and D books and it would be the Andy single volume edition that, uh, that, uh, So uh, I have a final uh, closing question for you. I don't know this. This will be the sound like the height of third world or of uh, first world problems here. But um, I've, I've had this dumb thing lately where I have a couple of books that are stupidly valuable that mm-hmm. I'm now afraid to use. Um, yeah. So for example, I I have uh, and like stupid relatively valuable. We're not talking yeah. like pay for my kids' college. So I have like uh, the spe- spe- some special edition cover editions of uh, fifth edition books that go for like a hilarious amount on eBay. Mm-hmm. And it's dumb because now I'm afraid to use them because even though I don't really plan to sell them, uh, they've like they've been elevated in my mind. They're no longer like a book for me to use and read. They're like an artifact I need to keep on the shelf and make sure it doesn't get scratched. They're, they're uh, an asset. Like yeah. I honest to God... <laughs> found myself wondering do i need to go buy like a second copy of this book that i can actually use and then i was like please that's the worst that's the worst idea never do that Andy. yeah i don't know have yeah. you ever do you have that like that collector bug in you like you know if you found out that your player's handbook was worth two thousand dollars would you mm-hmm. stop and put it back on the shelf and put it in an, a little plastic bag and never touch it yeah. uh or would you be like that's awesome. This is my two thousand dollar player's handbook that I'm hauling around in my backpack and scribbling notes in. <laughs> yeah, no, I would. Uh, um, so I have a. <clears throat> there's a game for the Super Nintendo called Earthbound, that came in this like oversized um, Super Nintendo box, mm. and it came with a full strategy guide with it as well. Um, I do not have the box. I still have the cartridge, and I have the strategy guide. And the strategy guide is in such condition, and it, it is valuable enough on ebay that like I, i'm afraid to touch it <laughs> like <laughs> yes. the last time the last time i checked it was like in the two to three hundred dollar range okay, and yep. this is for like a essentially like a throwaway strategy yes. guide. it has no sort value like, yeah and the cartridge itself is like ranges it used to be a couple hundred dollars and stuff like that yeah so i have this problem where it's like i don't i can't show that to my kids right because it's it's a very colorful fun strategy guide to look through like i loved looking through it as a kid yeah so, um yeah so i have this problem too and i think like you had actually said to me once one way to think about it is if you did if you didn't have this thing would you pay that much money hmm. to acquire it yourself and if the answer to that is no then go ahead and sell it yeah like and then go use the money in something else like in the theory that makes total sense 
but in practice, I'm keeping that earthbound strategy guide on the shelf <laughs> inside of a plastic bag for, for who knows how long, but yeah, I mean, and it's so like, and especially when you're talking about like antiques, essentially, like what if it goes up 10 times in, you know, 10 times the price yeah. in the next few years or so, then you're going to be kicking yourself if you sold it right now. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer to that is other than, yeah, you should probably buy that second copy. Yeah. I mean, it probably yeah. would pay off. Uh, a couple of years yeah. ago, uh, I posted on like an online, uh, battle tech, uh, group. Mm-hmm. I have a really old Battletech miniature that's really rare. It, it it came in like a tie-in product, so you couldn't buy it at like the regular store. Mm-hmm. It's just been you know gathering dust in my basement for years. So I I posted some photos of it on on a Battletech group online. I was like, is is this what I think it is? You know, and is do I have all the pieces? And um, mm-hmm. you know, how should I paint this thing? And it was really interesting to see the responses I got. So like, a lot of the responses were like, oh my goodness, that's you know that's really valuable. You really got a prize. You know, uh, keep that sucker safe. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll get a good price for it someday. And then there were these, um, there were like these people kind of reacting against that in, in the comments. And they were like the, like, oh, great. Another wonderful rare miniature is going to like stay in someone's collection and they're, you know, is going to get filed away and never see play on the table, Mm. which is what it was designed to do. And, um, there were surprisingly bitter there's some, some i mean it was an online interaction so of course it was yeah. surprisingly <laughs> there yeah. uh but there were surprisingly strong uh, opinions you know some people were really offended that no matter how i mean this is a miniature that like you know you don't want to like risk breaking it you know i mean it, it's a it's a miniature that cost seven dollars in 1983 and now it you know costs several many hundreds mm-hmm. but you know I, I i i did feel the frustration of those people going like you just told this guy to just hide it away when, you know, this thing yeah. was made for kids to play with. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Then there was the third yeah. type of uh, people. I, I learned an important lesson because I, I spent weeks getting uh, direct messages from people trying to buy it off me. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. That was, I learned a, a number of important lessons. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, another one of my hobbies is uh, vintage hand tools. Oh, um, neat. Like, yeah. So like for woodworking. Yep. And stuff like that. And the same exact arguments happen about vintage hand tools that happen about collectibles in any other space, you know? Um, and, but then it also has this added weight of like, most of these tools were built for like someone to actually make furniture out of and stuff. Right. So like you have this thing that like people, it was meant to be abused in a shop and used and sharpened and like, like used up. Yeah you know, not, not even played with, right? Like used up to, to make furniture and stuff. And like, then people are treating it like it's the sacrosanct thing that you need to put inside of a display case and stuff. And so there's this argument of like, should you, should it become a user or should it become a, they have some derogatory terms and stuff for it. You know, yeah. Should it sit on a shelf like that? And it's like, it's just this very strange thing. And like the market too is getting all wonky because of pandemic stuff mm, as well yep. so stuff that used to be super cheap is now super expensive and everybody's wondering is gonna the the bottom gonna drop out and stuff and it's just like at some point you're just like we should just use it right like <laughs> we should use these things <laughs> is sort of what i come down to it's like let's let's just use it it's fine like you're not yeah like you're not gonna send your kid to college on this if there's if you have something super valuable and it is the sort of thing like it's a one of a kind like it's the very first Battletech miniature that was ever made yeah. you know it's going to be like a hundred thousand dollars belongs in a museum <laughs> style <laughs> thing like yes then we can have that conversation but then there's this whole like 
the long tail on that drops off so fast to just like yeah. don't worry about it yeah i think yeah i think you're right i think you're right okay but you yeah. know we've gone uh we've gone past uh, our time here so we should uh, wrap this up so yeah. uh hey chris i really enjoyed that conversation i yeah. i think uh anyone who is listening and hoping for an actual answer to the 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 questions that the topic raised, I, I can only apologize to you, but, uh, <laughs> like, like in all things, our answer is, is do whatever you want. <laughs> that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, okay. why don't you sign us out? Yeah. All right. Well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.